chapter number one and verse number eight. Thank you to all the ladies that worked so hard. Thank you, Sister Kenyon, for organizing the ladies' conference trip. Amen. And thank you all for being sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 2 and 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all and to all and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want to preach for a while tonight on this subject, all in. Look at somebody, tell them, I'm all in. Lord, have your way. Anoint me to preach. Anoint ears to hear. Let the Holy Ghost fall in this place. God, I pray by the authority of your word and by the power of your name, God, that you would do a mighty work in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. I mean, I realize I tell stories, a lot of stories, over and over. One of the reasons that we repeat stuff is because not everybody was here the last time we told it. And we think there's some things that everybody deserves the opportunity to know that God can do. I will tell you that I am so thankful for the way that Jesus Christ has changed my life. Amen. I was preaching in Poland on Friday night in a hotel. And uh, the church there, it's a, it, the, the church in Poland is very small work, but they're growing and thank the Lord for it. And so we had our European conference at that church this week. And for the last service, they rented a hotel meeting space so they could have more room for people from the community to come. And I was preaching that service. And when I got up behind the pulpit, I began to tell them about a story that happened when I was a boy about eight or nine years old and I was visiting, I was not visiting, my church was at a camp meeting with several hundred people from several different churches. And during this service, an elderly man from our church, his name was Arthur Hornbeck. 
elderly man, 71 years old, keeled over onto the floor. It caused quite a disturbance during the camp meeting, and there were several professional medical personnel that were in that congregation. And over the next few moments, they found their way towards this collapsed elderly brother from our church. They began to try to find his pulse in his neck and in his wrist, and they could find no pulse, this campground being out in the country. It took about 15 to 20 minutes for the ambulance to get there. After about 15 minutes of this man laying on the floor without a pulse, the nurses and the, the medical personnel that were part of the camp meeting doing CPR, trying to revive him with no luck, the ambulance comes out. They find no pulse. They try. They take over the compressions, and they cannot get his heartbeat back. The camp evangelist came by and said, what's happening? And they said that the elderly brother from the Kokomo church has, has uh, died. He's got no pulse. He said, how old is he? They said, 71. They said, he's lived long enough. He turned around and walked back out and, uh, and left him there. But the church that I went to began to pray for this elderly gentleman. And they began to call on God. And after about 15 minutes of medical personnel finding no pulse, this elderly gentleman opened his eyes, sat up, and wondered what all the commotion was about. He lived 10 more years in that church as a testimony that God can do anything. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's nothing that Jesus can't do. When he steps in the room, all things are possible. When he enters onto the scene, there's nothing that can't be done by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. You didn't come to a building. You came to a house of God. You didn't come to just a church, but you came to a Jesus church. And he's in this place right now. The same God that raised that dead man over 40 years ago. There's the same God that opened blind eyes in Asia, that raised the dead in Indiana, that healed crippled legs in Africa, is in this same place right now. And whatever you need, it can happen through the power of a resurrected Savior. Amen. The Holy Ghost is in this place. When we talk about the Holy Ghost, we're not talking about some strange spirit. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is literally the Spirit of Jesus Christ. When I talk about the Holy Ghost, what I'm talking about is the presence of Jesus Christ in this place right now. God wants you to feel His presence today. Amen. We call it the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I've come to tell you tonight, you can have it. God wants everybody in this place to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Don't you let some denomination lie to you and teach you an untruth and tell you that it's not for everybody. The verse of scripture I read tonight said the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off. And in my dictionary, all still means all. It means every man, every woman, every child, every generation, every race, every creed, every color, every person that's hungry for the Holy Ghost. You can have the Holy Ghost tonight. Oh, somebody ought to praise God. It's real, it's real. It's that Pentecostal blessing. And I know, I know it's real. (laughs) 
Amen. I told you a little bit. I, 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 I was preaching on, uh, on Friday night, and I started telling stories. I told the story about the, the brother from the church that I grew up in, and I began to tell stories about different miracles that I've seen all around the world. And, and I hadn't even read my text yet. And while I was telling those stories, the Holy Ghost hit that place. And people started coming to the altar, and people started praying. And God began to work miracles in that auditorium that night. And God began to touch people. And I looked out, and the church there has several, has several dozen uh, refugees from the Ukraine war that wouldn't have been in that apostolic service if something in their life hadn't gone terribly wrong. But I watched them in that service as they began to lift their hands and worship God and tears began to come down their face. And the Holy Ghost began to move. And I, 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 I didn't want to preach. By that point, the Holy Ghost had been moving for quite a while. And I thought, eh, I don't need to preach. I need to quit. And then the Spirit of the Lord began to deal with me that I needed to preach. So I didn't read my text. I didn't go. I had 18 pages of notes. I didn't even look at them, Sister Carson. Those people have no idea how blessed they were that night. But I just began to tell him what was on my heart and what I was going to preach. And I kind of preached it to him a little bit. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, man, we should have just kept on having that altar service. But I, about halfway through that message, there was a beautiful family that walked in the side door of that auditorium. And they came and sat on the left side about halfway towards the front. And they sat there while I was preaching about the Holy Ghost and what Jesus can do. And what the love of God and the power of God, how it can turn lives around. And I'm, I'm just trying to preach. I don't I'm just trying to, to be honest with you, I'm trying to quit so I can get done, go eat and go to the airport and fly home. And, uh, and when I opened the altar, that entire family, this, this husband and wife, a boy about 17 or 18 years old and a girl probably about 15, all, the entire family comes to the altar and I find out that they are guests visiting the city from Norway. They just happened to be staying in the hotel and heard all the commotion, decided to come and check out and see what was going on. They weren't apostolic at all. They, they, I don't even know if they were Christian at all, but I know that they wanted to see what was going on. And when that boy, that 17, 18-year-old boy came to the altar, he lifted his hands, and in a moment, God touched him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And in a few minutes, he was in the water getting baptized in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, God wants everybody to get the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. There are three things everyone has to do to receive the promise of the Holy Ghost baptism. The first thing you have to do is repent of your sins. Amen. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, I'm sorry for how I've lived my life. I'm sorry for every sin I've ever done. I'm asking you, God, to forgive me and help me turn away from those sins. You don't have to, you don't have to make a, public, a, a big public spectacle. You can pray it right now, right where you are. You can begin to talk to God and say, God, I repent of my sins, and I'm asking you to forgive. As a matter of fact, I tell you what would be good is if everybody in this place would repent right now because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God, we need you. We need your forgiving power in this place tonight. God, we need you to wash us our sins away. God, we've done things we didn't even know it was wrong, and we didn't even know the Bible preached against it. But God, it grieved your heart, and I'm sorry for my sins. Come on, you can pray it right now. It's a good time to get it all out between you and God. You don't have to scream it out. You don't have to yell it out, but you've got to talk to God about it. God, I, first, I, I repent. For all of my sins. 
Amen. The Bible said godly sorrow worketh repentance. Amen. We got to repent. If you'll repent of your sins, if you just now repented, I want you to say thank the Lord because you're one step closer to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Once you, that's right. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The second thing to receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is you got to ask God to pour his spirit on you in faith. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. God wants you to leave this place full of the Holy Ghost tonight. The Holy Ghost is the greatest gift anyone could ever have. Amen. It's the best thing that's ever happened in my life. When I got baptized with the Holy Ghost, there's nothing else in this world that even closely compares to what it was like when the Spirit of the Lord touched me with the baptism. And I've got good news. You can have it tonight. It will revolutionize your life. It'll turn your life upside down. You might have walked in discouraged, but you get full of the Holy Ghost. You walk out with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do I have any witnesses that'll say, when I got the Holy Ghost, it changed everything. And God wants you to have it. You got to believe God wants you to have it. Amen. I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was counseling with a, 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 a gentleman one time at the request of his pastor. And I met this man at a restaurant. And, uh, and, and it was, I, I thought, man, it's going to be a really awkward meeting. And, and, and I'm, not really, I'm not really keen on, I mean, I, I, I don't mind doing my job. I'm just not always in for doing other people's job. And so, but, I, I, but as a courtesy, I thought, you know what, I'll go ahead and I'll do it. And I met with this, with this man, and uh, I was a little uptight about it, but I knew that the Lord wanted me to do it. And so I was there, and, and when we sat down, the man started opening his heart. He spilled his guts. He told me everything that had gone on in his life, how he had ruined his marriage, how he had violated his, his, his covenant with his wife. And he started talking about the addictions that he had picked up and the things... And he, and he was so broken, and this man sat there across the table at this restaurant with tears going down his face, telling me all that he had ever done and all the things that he, the way he had just completely ruined his own life. And he told me, he said, I, I've, I've done so much, I've gone so far that I don't know, I don't know if I can ever be forgiven and find God again. And the whole time he's talking I'm sitting on the other side of the table, and I'm praying in my spirit, in my mind. I'm saying, God, I don't know what to tell this man. You've got to give me the right words. God, you've got to tell me what I can say. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost reminded me of something I'd seen in Israel. In the bottom level, under the upper room, is the room where the tomb of David is. David, a man who was an adulterer, a man who conspired to have a man killed, a man whose disobedience caused many men to die in battle. And in that tomb lies the body of David with all those sins. And I looked at this man across the table and I told him about the tomb of David is underneath the upper room. And God could have poured his spirit out anywhere he wanted to. He could have poured it out on the Mount of Olives. He could have poured it out on the Temple Mount. He could have poured it out by the Sea of Galilee. He could have poured it out in Capernaum. But he chose to pour it out in a room above the body of a dead adulterer. 
It signifies that if God will pour his spirit out over a man like that, God will pour his spirit out over anybody. I'm telling you, God wants you to have the Holy Ghost tonight. No matter how bad you've been, no matter what you've done, if you'll repent and you'll ask him, God wants to baptize you. The last time I was in a service with that man, I watched him raise his hands to heaven and God gloriously rebaptized him with the Holy Ghost because God wants everybody. You're not too bad. You're not too far gone. You're not too messed up. You haven't done too much. You haven't gone too far. If you'll repent and you'll worship him, God will baptize you. That's the third step. you got to worship him and thank him for the Holy Ghost. God, I thank you. I might not have it yet, but I thank you for it because it's a promise to me. Amen. We're an apostolic church. That means we believe and practice what the apostles did. And the apostles preached about the Holy Ghost. Amen. I got to hurry. I want to do what the apostles did. And so let's look quickly at the book of Acts and let's see what the environmental conditions were that caused that kind of a great revival that we read about in the book of Acts. In Acts 2 and 4, the Bible said they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. One of the keys to a Holy Ghost revival is you've got to be willing to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. When God moves, you move. When God speaks, you speak. When God touches, you go. Amen. If we want to be an apostolic Holy Ghost end time revival church, we have to have an apostolic new birth experience of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm going really, I'm trying to go real fast here. The second thing they had was the was an apostolic doctrine. The Bible said in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. If you're waiting for this church to quit preaching Acts 2.38, you got a long wait coming, baby, because we are an apostolic church, and we don't back up from it. We don't back down from it. We don't water it down. We don't thin it up. We preach this one God message. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, we got to preach the apostles' doctrine. Amen. Y'all sound like you're beating the church down. Acts 2, Acts 2.42, the Bible said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Can I tell you, there's never been a such thing as an apostolic church that wasn't a praying church. There's never been a revival church that wasn't a praying church. I've watched churches come. I've watched churches go. But I've never seen a praying church go down. I've seen people come and I've seen people go. But I've never seen praying people go. God, help us to be an apostolic church of prayer. That's why I love our prayer room. That's why I love it when the, men, the people of God gather in the prayer room and call on heaven. God, give us a praying church. Teach me to pray, God. Teach me to pray. If you'll pray, you can overcome everything. If you'll pray, you can overcome whatever comes your way. If you'll pray, you can overcome whatever the devil sends to you to destroy you. But you got to be a man of apostolic prayer. Amen. You want to be a revival church, you got to be a praising church. The Bible said, Acts 2.47, they were praising God. 
Amen. There's no such thing as a dead church that has revival. Amen. If you want revival for your family, you got to be a praiser. Praise opens the door to the blessings of God. Praise opens the door and lets God come in your life. Praise conditions your heart to receive from God. If you really want revival, you got to be a person of praise. Amen. You want to have a book of Acts church, you got to be a praising church. That's why I love it when we get wound up around here. And we get the, that's why I love what happened here tonight. It doesn't matter to me if it's slow or fast. As long as we praise God, that's all I want is people that know how to respond. Right now would be a good time to praise. There's an anointing of the Holy Ghost that's moving in this place right now. There's a call for revival. And if you want it, you got to have the characteristics of a revival church. If you'll have an apostolic experience and you'll have apostolic doctrine and you'll have apostolic prayer and you'll have apostolic praise, then you will have apostolic power. The Bible said in Acts 2.43 that many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. A praying, praising, doctrinally right church has supernatural demonstration of the power of God. I still believe in miracles. There's Brother Travis and Sister Norma. Amen. Y'all aren't sitting where I'm used to seeing you. You're surprising me. Amen. I, Brother Travis, I love what you told me the other day. When you told me that the doctor told your wife that she's got cancer and, and that, uh, that just got to be ready for it, you just got to accept it, you've got cancer. And then the next week, the same doctor had to look her in the eye and say, I've done all the tests. There's no cancer in your body. I'm talking about apostolic power. It's still the day of miracles. It's still the days of signs and wonders. God's not watered down. God's not dead. God's not gotten weak. God's not worn out. God's ready. But he's going to do it in an apostolic environment. God, help me create an atmosphere. Help me create an atmosphere for the supernatural to happen. You want to know why we preach about praise and why we preach about prayer and why we preach about doctrine? It's because we know we need the power of God and we need apostolic results. 247, and the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. Amen. I'm looking for more addition. I'm looking for more addition. Thank God for the 87, 88, whatever we've already baptized in Jesus' name. I wouldn't be shocked if it doubled before January 1st. I don't know if I'm prophesying or hoping, but either way, I just spoke it. And the word of faith is nigh thee, even in my mouth. If you want to agree with me right now, it'd be a good time to say, God, I agree with that preacher. For my family, for my neighbors, for my kinfolk, for my co-workers, for my babies, teachers. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. They had an apostolic experience. They had apostolic doctrine, apostolic prayer, apostolic praise. So they had apostolic power and apostolic results. But before they had any of that, they had apostolic unity. The Acts 2 experience began and ended in unity. It also means that what happened in the book of Acts can happen here tonight. There was incredible unity in the book of Acts. And if we'll have unity in this church, we'll watch God take revival to another level. I'm all in. Look at somebody and tell them I'm all in. The book of Acts is a book about all. The book of Acts church was an all church. Acts 1 and 8, we are witnesses in all Judea. Acts 1 14, they all continued in one accord. Acts 2 and 1, they were all with one accord. Acts 2 and 2, the mighty wind filled all the house. Acts 2 and 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2 and 7, they were all amazed. Acts 2 17, he poured out his spirit on all flesh. Acts 2.32, we are all witnesses. Acts 2.39, it's come to you, your children, and all that are far off. Acts 3 and 9, all the people saw the lame man. Acts 4.16, a miracle was manifest to all. Acts 4.28, they prayed with all boldness. Acts 4.31, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak the word. Acts 43, great grace was on them all. Acts 5.11, great fear came on them all. Acts 5 and 12, they were all with one accord. And so it goes on and on and on and on and on. And in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is about all. If we want to have a book of Acts revival, we got to get all in. We don't have. The power of the church is not for just a few. It's not only for a certain number. The power of Jesus Christ is for everyone. It is for all. The Pentecostal outpouring was bookended by unity. The word all appears in the book of Acts 192 times. You want to know why there was a book of Acts revival? Because all appears 192 times in 28 chapters. Every single chapter of the book of Acts has the word all in it somewhere. You couple with that the word with. One of the words for with means in union or combined with. It appeared 51 more times. The word together appears 31 times. All in all, all there's all in all. There's over 274 references to the church being together, all in for revival. The book of Acts church was a book of Acts unity revival. Before the Holy Ghost poured out, they all got in one accord. And today, God will pour his spirit out in this place, and we'll see more miracles, more people baptized, more people receive the Holy Ghost, but we got to get together in unity. We can't let the enemy tear us apart and put us one against another. We can't let the enemy get us against each other and speaking words ill against each other. You better help me preach right now because I got a tiger by the tail, and I know I'm getting ready to run the devil out of here because God is bringing us together for revival. first place where the spirit of the Lord is mentioned in the Bible is Genesis chapter number one, verse number two and three. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The first mission of the Spirit of God was to bring light into darkness. And that's still the prime mission of the Spirit, is to shine the light of hope in a dark and sinful world. That was the first time the Spirit was mentioned in the Bible. The last time the Spirit of the Lord is mentioned in the Bible is Revelation 22 and 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The first, the first mission of the Spirit was to bring light in the darkness. And the last mission of the Spirit is to call people to come to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, if you've got the Holy Ghost, then your mission is to take light into darkness and to get people to come to Jesus. There's no such thing as a truly Holy Ghost-filled person. That's not about the mission of the Spirit. Amen. I know it's going to get a little bit tight here right now. But can I tell you that God didn't save me to entertain me and baby me and give me a bottle and a pacifier three times a week. God saved me to put me in a mission field. And the mission field is this world that we live in. And if you got the Holy Ghost, the first mission of the Spirit is to carry light to darkness. And if you can say you have the Holy Ghost and you never tell somebody about the light, then you don't really have the Holy Ghost. Somebody give him a high five. Tell him I'm all in. If we will be united in the mission of the Spirit to reach people, there's nothing that God can't do here. Can I tell you, God will pour financial miracles on your family if you'll get behind the mission of God. That God will bring your own children back if you'll pray for somebody else's children. That God will revive your spouse if you'll help pray for somebody else's spouse. But we can't do it if we're divided. God, bring us together in the unity of the Spirit for the mission of God for this time. You got to let me get this burden off of me. You got to let me get this burden off of me because if I don't, I won't be able to sleep all night. But I've got to tell you, the devil loves chaos. Ever since his fall from heaven, he has sought to divide the world. His first action was to divide the angels in heaven and a third of the angels fell with him. This was followed up by tempting Adam and Eve in the garden and dividing them from God. Division is the devil's playground. I'm going to say it again. Division is the devil's playground. The word devil. The word devil comes from the Greek word diablos, which means to slander or to bring accusation. The word can also be translated as to divide, to separate, or to throw one against the other. Can I tell you that the devil's mission is to slander, accuse, divide, separate, and throw one person against another. He wants us to destroy ourselves by stirring up division in the church. It's one of the fastest ways that we destroy ourselves. Because if we do it for him, the devil doesn't have to do anything. Some of us are working harder for the devil than he's working for himself. The key to overcoming the activity and influence of evil is you got to recognize it. When you expose it to the light of Christ, evil loses its power. 
I've come to preach a minute to you. Hope you'll still help me. Galatians 5, 19 and 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In our more modern terms, here's the same list. Adultery. A married person having sexual relations outside of their marriage. Fornication. Sexual activities by unmarried persons. Impurity. Unholiness. Lasciviousness. The desire to be lusted after. Idol worship. Witchcraft. Murder. Conceit. Wrath, which is fits of rage. Notice the rest of this list. Six different works of the flesh. Hatred, discord, jealousy, dissension, factions, and envy. All six have something to do with division or disunity. The enemy wants us to be flesh-driven, not spirit-driven. So the works of the flesh will lead to division and the frustration of the mission of God. Division is the devil's favorite tactic to stop Holy Ghost revival. Satan exists to destroy and disrupt what we do in the name of Jesus. I'm preaching to you for a minute. Satan hates growing, thriving churches. He puts a bullseye on the church and its leaders. When you have a church that is powerful, exciting, that times of worship are exhilarating, a church where people enjoy going and being together in the presence of the Lord, a joy where there's real joy in making disciples, the devil wants to lessen the experience and bring tension, division, and turmoil. Hallelujah. We've begun a great campaign to build a house for God where sinners can find hope. Amen. By the time that building's completely built, it'll hold more than three times the population of our city. It's a, you, you understand that? It is for God. It's not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we did. It's we're building another place where somebody can come and find healing for their heart and peace for their mind and restoration for their soul. But if you think God's going to let us build that building and the, you think the devil's going to let us build that building and him not try to get in and cause division, you're out of your mind. Later this week, we're going to put up a tent. The exit of Potts Camp is going to look like the Barnum Bailey Circus tent has been put up at the end of the ramp. Do you think the devil's going to let us go into our city and preach the gospel where the whole town can hear it and not put up a fight? If you think the devil's not going to try to stop what God's going to try to do, in just a couple of weeks, we're getting ready to go into prison right here in our county and preach the gospel to people the rest of society wants to forget they exist. And the devil doesn't want to stop it. I'm going to tell you why we're dealing with the stress we're dealing with is because God's doing something awesome. I'd rather try to figure out how to keep something going than have to try to figure out how to resurrect something that's dead. 
I'm excited that the devil's fighting because that means we're right in the vein. We're right in the move. We're not will- if we were willing to let our city die and go to hell, he wouldn't bother us. But because we've got something going, he's stirred up. We put ourselves in the crosshair of the enemy. But let me tell you something. I'm not afraid of the devil. Because the name Jesus is more powerful than the name Lucifer. And the blood of Jesus is more powerful than the lies of hell. And the truth of the word of God is greater than the enemy has. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Every demon in hell, the blood of Jesus is against you. I plead the blood. The Holy Ghost is real or it's not. And it's real, it's real, it's real. And the devil, the spirits of hell aren't more powerful than the spirit of God. Can I preach a few more minutes? Look, I hadn't eaten all day long. And I'm jet lagged. I only got about four and a half hours sleep in the last three days. So, so you're just going to have to let me get this out so I can go home and sleep like a baby. I'm preaching as much for me as you right now. But you got to understand that just as much as God wants to use people, the devil wants to use people. When I tell you God wants to use you, I mean it. When I tell you the devil also wants to use you, I mean it. Galatians 5.15 But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Let me tell you something. You don't have the right to talk to each other just the way you want. I don't care if you are mad. Learn to be a Christian and control your tongue. If you bite and devour one another, take heed. Look, I wrote this sermon before, before I even, this sermon was written before I even got back from Poland, so I didn't tailor-made this for anybody. I'm going to tell you, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. Be careful, because if you bite and devour one another, you'll be destroyed. Acts 6 and 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. And can I preach a minute? Is this all right? It's Okay. I hope it's okay, Bishop. It's all I got. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Another version said, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Tyndale Bible said, there arose a grudge among the Greeks against the Hebrews. Murmuring, complaint, and grudge. Proverbs 6, 16, these six things. Doth the Lord hate? Those are angels, just keep on. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. I'm better than you are. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. 
You say, well, I hadn't killed anybody. Have you killed their reputation? Have you killed their influence with somebody? A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations and feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies and he that soweth discord among the brethren. These seven things God hates. It doesn't say he dislikes it. It doesn't say that he, he gets a little bothered by it. He didn't say that these seven things get on God's nerves a little bit. The Bible said he hates these things. Synonyms for hate, loathe, detest, abhor, despise, feel revulsion towards, feel hostile towards, be repelled by, be revolted by, regard with disgust, not be able to stand, be unable to stomach, find intolerable, shudder at, and recoil from. My friends, God doesn't play games with division. God is not into division. God is into multiplication. When the number of the disciples multiplied, then the devil tried to divide. If you are finding the devil trying to divide you from somebody, you might as well get ready because it might mean that God's trying to multiply something in your life. And when God's trying to multiply something in your life, beware lest the enemy gets you to divide what he's doing. Satan's agenda is to divide the church, divide God's people, separate us from one another. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, to whom ye forgiving anything, I forgive also. Look, if you had a problem with somebody and you forgive them, I'm going to forgive them too. I'm not going to hold your grudge against somebody else. To whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. He said, I, I forgave some things for your sake. Because if I don't forgive, then I'm teaching you how not to forgive. So if you forgive somebody, I'll forgive them too. I'm not going to hold a grudge for somebody else's bitterness. You be mad at somebody, but don't try you to get me to be mad at them for you too. Keep your bitterness to yourself. You don't need to get a gang of allies. You need to let it die. Let it go. Let it end. Give somebody permission to forgive somebody else on your account. God help me. I don't even know what all I'm preaching about. I just know I'm preaching what the Holy Ghost gave me. Why was Paul so careful trying to get all this unforgiveness out of the church at Corinth? The very next verse, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Because unforgiveness gives the devil an advantage. Can I tell you the devil has no advantages when it comes to the word of God. The word is more powerful than his word. The blood is more powerful than anything he has. The truth sets people free. The power of God. Satan has no advantage unless we give it to him. The only advantage he has is if we allow him to have it. And the way he gets an advantage is if we have unforgiveness in our heart. He said, if you've got unforgiveness, the devil will get an advantage over you. Don't give the devil anything he doesn't deserve. He said, we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his tools, his tricks. We know how he works. Don't allow Satan to get an advantage over us. Look, this, this is going to sound a little harsher than I mean it. Well, no, it, it sounds exactly like I mean it, but it might seem harsh to somebody. 
You become a device of the devil when you participate in division. I'm going to defend my brothers and sisters, not destroy them. I'm going to build up my church family, not tear them down. I'm going to be thankful when you're blessed, not jealous because you're blessed. I'm going to worship when you worship and weep when you weep. Together we can overcome the enemy. Together we can change our community. Together we can see revival. Together we can walk streets of gold. Church unity begins with me, with you. It begins in each of us. It's and I'm doing some of the best preaching I've ever done in my life right now. It starts by refusing to be a device of the devil. I'm not going to spread gossip in your window. When somebody walks by, I'm not going to roll my eyes and give a silent message that I have a problem with them. I'm going to keep myself Christian. Christian unity begins in me. It's not your job. It's my job to have myself right. And it's your job. It, can t it starts by refusing to be a device of the devil. It continues by committing to be part of the body of Christ. It manifests itself in working together, worshiping together, serving together. A little bit more. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. I'm begging you. This is what Paul's telling the church at Ephesus. I'm begging you to live up to what God's called you to be. Paul told the church, live like you are called to greatness. Act like you have a destiny. Walk worthy of your calling. He follows it up with verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. If you're going to reach your destiny, he says, you've got to be humble and meek and long-suffering. You can't have a short fuse with one another. You've got to forbear one another in love. When somebody gets on your nerves, just forbear it. When somebody stresses you, just forbear it. When somebody does something that just grates on your last nerve, Punch them in the face. No, don't punch them in the face. Forbear them with love. They look at me again, I'm going to tell them off. Don't tell you, them off. You'll make yourself look like a fool. You're going to make yourself look like a tool of the devil. Keep your mouth shut and pray. Am I preaching that? Am I preaching at all? The very next verse, verse 3. Endeavoring, striving, working, exerting yourself to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Work at it. Labor for it. Fight for it. Strive for unity more than you strive to win an argument. Strive for unity more than you strive to get the upper hand. Strive for unity more than you strive to be right. Strive for the unity in the bond of peace. God, bind us together. God, bond me with people that I may have conflict with. God, bond me with people that I may have a little bit of tension with. God, help me to strive. I'm going to endeavor to keep it together. The very next verse, because there's one body. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to go to heaven with people you don't like. Because there's one body. 
If you're going to be saved, you have to get along with people that get on your nerves because there's only one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. He's saying your destiny demands that you get along with each other. Your destiny demands that you get on the same page. I'm all in. Woo, man, that was, we were talking about miracles and signs and wonders. Man, we was having church. We were shouting. Man, sure got quiet all of a sudden. One body. When you hurt one of your brothers and sisters, you're hurting yourself because there's one body. If you'll take a sword after your brother, you might as well take it to yourself because there's one body. When you talk about your sister, you're talking about yourself because there's one body. There's one spirit. If you got the, the same Holy Spirit I got, then how can I run down somebody else that has the spirit that I have? One body, one spirit. And there's only one hope. I'm all in. I am all in for you, my brothers and sisters. I am all in to see the greatness of God manifested in your life. I am all in to achieve great things together with you and the Holy Ghost. I believe we're getting ready to see it. Amen. I believe that we're going to fight our way through whatever we got to fight through to see God change people's lives. Amen. We're seeing it. We're seeing it. I'm believing God for it. I'm all in. We are called to achieve. We are called to see great things. We are called to see the greatness of God manifested in his body. I want everybody in this church to lift your hands to heaven right now. God, help me to be all in. God, help me, Lord Jesus, to be all in. God, help me to be all in on this work of God. Together with my brothers and sisters, I'm not going to let the enemy tear us apart. Come on, let's pray. Reach over, pray for somebody close to you. Let's pray, God. Let's pray what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed that they all may be one. Jesus, help us all to be one. One in purpose, one in mission, one for revival. All for making disciples, all for being disciples. All for worship, all for prayer, all for praise, all for truth, all for loving people, all for forgiving people, all for forbearing one another. Help us to walk according to the vocation that you've called us. Help us to live our lives worthy of the destiny that you've given us, God. Oh, that's right. Come on, let's stand all over this place and let's pray. God, bind us together. God, bind us together with mutual love and affection. Let that agape love of God flow through the body of Christ. God, if I've got an issue with somebody, help me to get it taken care of. Help me to humble myself, God, and to not esteem myself above any other. Help me to treat each other 
Help me to treat people with the same grace that I want to be treated with. Help me to treat other people's children with the same mercy I want my children treated with. Help me to give the benefit of the doubt to my church family. Help me give the benefit of the doubt to people that offend me. To trust that maybe it was a misunderstanding or an accident. And help me give them the benefit of the doubt enough time, God, so your mercy and grace can bring us together. Come on, help me pray. God, I rebuke division and discord. Those spirits of hell, I bind them by the blood of Jesus and by the name of Jesus Christ. God, join us in brotherly love and mutual affection. Knit our hearts together for purpose and mission, for the glory and the kingdom of God. Help me to see the best in people, not the worst. Help me to believe the best in people, oh God. Help me to be joyful when people are blessed. Help me to be happy when somebody has more than I get. Help me be thankful for the successes and wins and victories that my brothers and sisters have. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, can you lift your voice and pray? God, bind us together. Knit our hearts together. Join us together. If you do something that you know gets on somebody else's nerves, don't do it. If you know there's something you can do to make it better, then do it. Give yourselves to unity, togetherness, and together we'll see the victory. Thank you. Lift your hands as he sings this chorus and just worship the Lord together. Close your eyes and lift your hands to heaven.
right. Go ahead. Talk to the Lord for a minute. over and pray for somebody close to you. Thank you, Lord. Now let's worship the Lord together. God, I love you. Thank you for the privilege of being with such a great body of people. Thank you, God, for the privilege of serving you together with this great congregation of people. Thank you, God, gifts, their talents, their abilities. God, you saved them. You saw value in them, so I see value in them. You loved them enough to die for them. I, I need to love them enough to live with them. So God, knit our hearts together for purpose, for mission, for your glory, and for your kindness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Find a seat real quickly, if you will, before we, before we go. I would like for Brother Austin and Sister Elizabeth and Evie, if she's awake and willing, to come. ancient days there was a rite called a Jewish rite called the Simicha the Simicha was when a man had proven himself faithful and skillful as a minister of the word of God and he was ordained as a rabbi in the ceremony the candidate had hands laid on them and they were prayed over receiving the Simicha was an affirmation of a long path taken to develop a recognized ministry in the inauguration of a long journey yet to come. In the Bible, God commanded Moses to transfer some of his honor upon, upon the young man Joshua. And so Moses laid his hands on Joshua in fulfillment of God's command. Numbers 27, 22, and 23, And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Tonight, some people thought, some people thought we were installing Brother Austin. We're not installing Brother Austin. We're ordaining Brother Austin. Tonight, we're acknowledging the call of God upon Brother Austin and Sister Elizabeth to work as a minister of the gospel. An ordination ceremony is a passageway in someone's ministry. Many preach, but not all are ordained. Many begin in ministry, but in time, not all continue to earn ordination. Ordination is not for the novice. 
It should be done with great discretion and sobriety. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 and 22, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Some have mistaken this verse to mean to be careful about laying hands when you pray for people that are sick or other ailments or issues. But the context of this scripture was Paul's admonition and instruction to Timothy to not lay hands on a minister and ordain them without proper scrutiny and evaluation. Because if you ordain someone who is a partaker of sin, you become a partaker in their sin. Tonight, we're not laying hands on or ordaining Brother Austin suddenly. Tonight's ordination is the result of many years of proven ministry and faithfulness in this assembly and elsewhere. Brother Austin is the hardest working young preacher I know. Many hours every day he spends trying to help me look good. He needs a lot more than 24 hours. He has, a, he has a tremendous work ethic. I do not have to push him to work. Sometimes I have to push him to stop. He has initiative. He's anointed. He's a student. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of passion and purpose. If you can't find Brother Austin around the property, he's probably in his office working on something I've asked him to help me with. And he's probably spending way much longer on one or two words than I would have spent on the whole thing. The call to apostolic ministry is not an inherited office. Only those ministers who meet the spiritual qualifications mentioned in Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3 should be considered for ordination. A man of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, grave, which means he has great reverence for spiritual matters. Not double-tongued, dependable, and honest. Not given to wine, temperate in living and lifestyle. Not greedy of filthy lucre, a right attitude towards material possessions. A holder of the faith, tested and proved. Has demonstrated his commitment to ministry, blameless. Must have a Christian family life. A person whose family is well cared for, whose family relations are healthy and growing. The husband of one wife, a model of faithful devotion to one spouse committed to the sanctity of the marriage bond. Ruling their children and their house well. Bold in faith, holds firmly to what he believes, taking every opportunity for ministry. Brother Austin Hughes has demonstrated these qualities to the highest standard. And tonight, because he has done so over the course of years, he has proven to be called, proven to be anointed, and proven to be faithful to Christian ministry. Tonight, we hereby ordain him to the high calling of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And tonight I present Brother Austin with this sword. To cut anybody who said no, don't come. <laughs> tonight I'm presenting him with this sword to commemorate his ordination and ministry. The Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
Ephesians 6, 17 says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so, Brother Austin, I charge you to preach the Word, to be instant in season and out of season, to study the Scripture, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, a man of prayer, a man that loves people, a man that preaches the truth in love and loves the truth that he preaches. At this time, I would like to invite any members of Brother Austin's family who would like to come, his immediate or extended family to come and stand behind them as we get ready to pray. I would like to ask for Bishop Wilson, Brother Carson, and Brother Henderson, if they would, to make their way forward. Brother David. tell you one of the great reasons why we've seen God do what he's done and we have so many great young people it's because of the time that Brother Austin and Sister Elizabeth take with these young people Bishop Wilson I'm going to ask you to anoint them ask our other ministers in the church if you will to come amen I'm going to ask the church to stand by receiving ordination they are committing their lives to the ministry of Christ Anyone else in the church who would like to gather around and come pray? Our young ministers, anyone who would like to, you're welcome to come. Amen. Bishop. Let us pray. God of heaven tonight, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful couple that you blessed, you've called, you've helped thus far. God, you said in your word, you ordained them so he could be with you and when he was with you he could preach and then miracles signs wonders healings would happen we grant that to him tonight the anointing the power of god the order that ordination of you god in jesus name that you would lead him that you would guide him that you would keep him that you would keep your mind hand upon him, Lord. Let him keep his mind on you. Help him to be with you, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, touch his entire family. Give him the health he needs. God, the finances he needs, the spirit he needs to do the work of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, he's yours, Lord. He's yours, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to allow Brother Henderson, if he wants to say something about Elizabeth and Austin, Brother David, you guys are their parents. I guess I'm not going to stop the moms either. But, uh, but uh, when Austin made me aware that this service was happening today, I sat down and 
had a little conversation with Jesus. And here's what he said to me. Genesis 1 and 10, God saw it was good. So I looked at the Hebrew pictograph, and it looks like this if you look at the hieroglyphics of Hebrew. God, the creator, saw, that's the ability to see, perceive, or have vision. That means as though good takes two pictures to define the word good. It's a basket and it's a tent. These combined means surround the house. Beauty, love, health, prosperity, something that is functional. So that scripture could actually read like this. The creator perceived as though it is functional. When God saw that it was good, the creator perceived that it's functional. During creation, God acknowledged the functionality of his creation. Austin, Elizabeth, God has called you, anointed you, and ordained you for the function of the kingdom. This ceremony acknowledges that we see and agree to his purpose and function in your life. You have an assignment in the kingdom of God. I agree that assignment, calling, and anointing takes priority to all other functions in your life. Always remember our priorities in the kingdom of God. Number one, our God. Number two, our family. And number three, our church. Keep those straight and you'll succeed in your function and assignment. 365 times in the word of God, the word good is used. Take one a day. You'll find a good for every single in the Word of God. Luke 3 and 22, And the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him, and the voice from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. This phrase in the Greek is the equivalent to the Hebrew verbiage used in Genesis 1 and 10 that says, It is good. So let me say it this way, Austin. This is good, and I'm well pleased with you. Thank God that his word gives us the direction and identity for every function. You have a calling and a function in the kingdom of God. Do it every day. I really can't add much to anything that's been said. Um, other than being the father of Austin, being able to watch him grow from, from birth. Uh, intimately seeing how he conducted his daily life growing up, I can honestly tell you we've never had a single day of trouble from this child, a child, young man. Um, that's not common to just a ornery little kid. You know, that's just normal things, but he's, he's always been a blessing. But we could see from early on that he was special. There was something that there was a special anointing about him that he was going to be used mightily from the very first day I heard him preach in uh, the, the school chapel. It was here. They had it here. I got home from work early and ran out here as quick as I could to hear him. It was, it was anointed. Even though he had just started, he was anointed. And I could feel it. And I've just, it's been such an honor, just a blessing to watch him grow uh, and become, oh, that's Austin's dad. I'm no longer... David Hughes, I'm Austin's dad because he's the one that's known now and, and 
I wouldn't take nothing for that. that. I'm so proud of them and proud of this family and what they're doing, Sister Elizabeth and, and the, her conference and the things that she's doing and uh, the WE ministry. I'm just, we're blessed. Brother Brian and I, our families are blessed beyond measure to have them. And I thank you for your service to the kingdom. And I'm excited about what God's going to do with it. Amen. Let's give them all a good hand. Amen. You can be dismissed in Jesus' name.